It's not simply that we need to do our duty now that we belong to Christ, but, but that as a result of the fact that God is our Father, we seek to obey Him. That it is in gratitude for what He has done for us in Christ that we are overwhelmed with love for Him and therefore pursue Him and walk with Him. So uh, without a lot of uh, preliminaries here, let's just open in, into the Scriptures and read verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let me talk to you about debts for just a minute. The Bible says in Proverbs, and this is true, that the borrower is the lender's slave. Amen? Now, how many of y'all have borrowed money? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, how many of you are in slavery to the person you borrowed money from, right? Yes. Okay. If you take out a mortgage, guess what? A lot of times you'll be in slavery for 30 years to those people, right? And you will pay them three times the value of your house. And then when we, you sell it, supposedly you made money, right? No, you did not make money. You lost money. You had an expense all this time that you've now recouped some of your losses from, right? You didn't have a gain, at least most of us, unless you bought in California like in 1960 and then you sold it this year, you know. Maybe you had a gain then, but otherwise probably not, right? And every month when you write that check, you realize, I'm still enslaved. Ooh. Okay, when you, that's why when you get out of debt, you burn the mortgage, right? Because you're like, it's Emancipation Day. Hallelujah, right? It is. You are slave to the person that you borrowed from. And in the ancient, you know, that's so, so we understand that in a figurative way, but in the ancient world, it was literally true. Because if you couldn't pay your debts, guess what? They sold you into slavery as satisfaction for the debt. Most of us find that we, you know, in our world, we hate giving 25, 30% of our income every month to the person we are enslaved to. But we keep on doing it because the borrower is the lender's slave. And that kind of idea is the background to what Paul is telling us here in verses 12 and 13. This whole chapter, this, this whole chapter, remember there are no commands in Romans 8 whatsoever. None. There's not a single imperative verb in the entire chapter. Nothing where it says, where God says, do this and don't do that. It's just telling us about all the blessings that we have as people who are children of God. Uh, the fact that God is our Father through faith in Christ. And He's going to explicitly tell us about some of them in the next few verses. And as part of the blessings that we receive is that our debts to the flesh have all been canceled out. Our debts to the flesh, the mortgage that our sins, if you will, took out on our souls has been paid off and we are no longer obligated to serve sin anymore. We have had our emancipation day at the cross of Christ 
And we are not obligated to serve sin because we are not indebted to it anymore. We once had to do what our sin nature told us, but we don't have to anymore. We're free from those obligations. And instead, we now have new debts. And I know sometimes in church we don't like telling people this, but the fact is we are under obligation not to live according to the flesh. And we are under obligation not to experience death, but we are instead under obligation to kill sin and to live by the Spirit so that we can experience life. Now that's the kind of debt I'd like to be in, right? Not one that tears off a little chunk of my soul every month, right? But the kind that gives me life every time that I experience it. It's to, we're indebted to experience the joy and blessing of life with God. And that's what verse 13 is telling us. It's not telling us what to do in order to be saved. It's telling us what the Christian life looks like as it is lived. That, that now that you are a Christian... You put to death the deeds of the body so that you can experience life and joy and and experience the love of God that He has given you in Christ. It's not... Here's the thing. If you've ever had a particular sin weighing you down, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, you know, but where you have something that you just feels like, man, it's just like an albatross around your neck. And you are just constantly aware of the temptation to this, of the number of times you've fallen into it, of all of the burden that you carry because of it. And then all of a sudden, when you experience the opposite of that, when you experience not the burden of sin, but freedom from that one, can't tell you how good that feels, right? It is like all of a sudden I have stopped smacking my head into the wall. And it feels great that I have stopped, right? But more than that, there's a sense of just tremendous freedom that I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to talk like that anymore. I don't have to give in to that desire anymore. I don't have to be the kind of person I was anymore. Instead, what I have now is freedom from that. And it's like all of a sudden, this crushing weight that was on your shoulders weighing you down, you have let fall to the floor, and you're like, ha, ah, finally. He says, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you put them to death, how do you do that? You put them to death by the Spirit. It's like you're finally, if you're, it's like you're finally well after being sick for a long time. And I don't know about you, my friends, but this is a debt that I really enjoy paying. That as I'm obedient to Christ by the power of His Holy Spirit, that as His Holy Spirit works in my life, I get free from sin, and I live under obligation not to the flesh, but walking by the Spirit, and all of a sudden, I live. I really live. Amen? 
sin always kills. It always destroys everything that it touches, but putting sin to death by the Spirit brings life. And men and women, boys and girls, sin lies to us. It tells us that we can't live without it. But in reality, we can't live with it. If you want to have life, what you've got to have is putting to death the deeds of the body by the Holy Spirit. And the Christian life as it is lived brings tremendous freedom. We, are, we owe God our obedience empowered by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, we don't walk by the Spirit simply because we should or simply because it feels good to do so, but because of who we belong to and the status we possess in relationship to Him. And that's what uh, those verses, the rest of the section we're going to look at are all about. That because God is our, our Father by the Spirit, we walk with God by the Spirit. So, uh, let's look at these verses. I want to read them to you here. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we also may be glorified with Him. Now, these are some incredible verses, and I want to just meditate on them with you for a few minutes. Uh, Verse uh, 14 tells us something profound. It starts out, all who are led by the Spirit. And it's a verse that explains the verse that comes before it. So, if we are experiencing the Spirit's power in putting sin to death, then we're being led by the Spirit. That's what being led by the Spirit means in context is that we are people who are putting sin to death by the Spirit's power. You're led by the Spirit if you're doing that. And if you are led by the Spirit, then you are sons of God. You are sons of God. Now, it's hard to even fathom the depth of that statement. I mean, we, we, we use that language a lot of times. We sing that language. We talk like that, you know, in our kind of Christianese that we all speak in, right? As if you've been in church a long time, you become a native in Christianese, but you don't, st- you don't stop to think about what it's really actually saying to you. That you are a son of God. Uh, think about this just a minute. What it means is, is that in a certain way that God, by His Holy Spirit, brings us into God's own Trinitarian communion. 
that you as a person, you as a human being, are brought into the intra-Trinitarian love of God between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that has existed from eternity past. To be a son of God is to be brought into that relationship. To possess, in fact, the identical same status as far as God is concerned as Jesus himself. You're a son of God. Can't even, I can't even explain to you adequately what that, what Paul is actually telling us in that. But that somehow, by the Holy Spirit, you are brought into the intra-Trinitarian love of God. You are His Son. Jesus said it this way in John 14, verse 20. He said, I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And he's telling us that by the Holy Spirit, we, through faith in Christ, have entered into the very life of God himself. We possess the same status in relationship to God as Jesus does. And that should blow your mind. That we possess the same status before God as Jesus enjoys. We who were sinners have now become sons of God. We have become sons of God. Now that is some good gospel news, amen? If you're looking for good news today, this is it. Okay, and the good news just keeps getting better. In fact, this whole chapter just keeps, just keeps Paul just keeps stacking stuff on top of that. Oh, and by the way, you won't believe this. Guess what? And then he gives us something else. And he says this in verse 15, verse fifteen. He says, "For you, read it with me again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father." Here's what God is telling us here in his word. When we traded in our old master's sin for life in the spirit, we didn't just swap one master for another who treats us slightly better than the old one. When, when 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 a person is a slave, why do they obey their master? Fear, right? You either obey or the master beats you. You obey or the master sells you to a worse one. You obey or the master puts you to death. You obey based on fear. Paul says we don't obey God that way. I want you to shut your eyes for just a minute. Just a second now. Don't fall asleep, all right? Because this is important. When I want you to picture God, your Father, for just a second, on His throne, and I want you to picture you walking into the room. And then I want you to picture what expression is on His face when you walk in. Open your eyes for just a second. What expression did you see? 
Did you see disappointment? Did you see, oh boy, here he comes. <laughs> okay. Did you see God buckle his seatbelt when you walked in? Okay. Did you see him go, oh boy, I can't believe that. There's my child. Okay. No, that is not what the scripture says. It says, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. That God looks at us with great joy. That He sees us with pleasure. That the story of the Gospel is that God didn't rescue us from slavery to our sin nature to make us slaves again. No, we have not been, become slaves to a different master. We have become sons. And through the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Now that word Abba is a is an interesting word. It's Aramaic. It's not Greek, and it's not English. It's Aramaic. And, and it's, a, it's a word that a Jewish person would never use with reference to God. Because, first of all, in the whole Old Testament, God is only referred to as Father 14 times. In the whole Old Testament, which is two-thirds of the Bible. He's referred to as Father like 14 times in the first two chapters of John alone. Okay, something has changed. And it is because of Christ we have the right to address God as Abba. And that's a word that means, if we were to bring it over in English, it means something like Dad, Papa, Pop. It's a respectful form of address but it's, it's not for public consumption. It's, a, it's, a, it's an intimate family word. You know, if I'm introducing my dad, let's say in a public context, I would say, this is my father, Ward T. Horn, right? But at home, we put our arms around each other and his dad, right? And when we address God, we have the unique privilege as sons of God to refer to Him in a new way. Something that Jesus did, something that He taught His disciples to do, something which we have the right to do because our relationship with God has changed. We are no longer rebels against God. We are now sons of God. And we get to address Him as Papa. As Dad. And something has changed. It's a term of affection. And we are not to come trembling into God's presence because we did not receive the spirit of fear. Amen? We don't have to be afraid. Come quaking in our boots before the Lord God of heaven. Why not? Because we are His children. We're His sons. And He loves us. And He's given us the right to call Him Papa. And there's even more good news. You ever wonder if you're a child of God? Let me tell you one of the ways you find out if you are. Verse 16 says, For the Spirit testifies, He bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, 
If the Spirit is present in your life, He speaks to you and for you to remind you that you do in fact belong to Christ, that you are a child of God. If He he is not there simply as God's mark and seal, but to speak within you, you belong to God. You're a child of God. He is that you are his and he is yours and your relationship with God can never be lost. Your membership in God's family is not going to get canceled out. Your invitation to heaven is not going to get lost in the mail. You're a child of God. And we need that. Amen. You ever blown it huge? I mean, huge, where you're like, I can't believe I did that. And Satan comes in with his voice of condemnation and he says to you, well, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have said that. You wouldn't have looked at that. You wouldn't have done that. And the Spirit at that point testifies to our spirit, you are a child of God. Confess and be restored. Go home, stop eating with the pigs, and go home to the Father's house where the fatted calf is waiting and sandals for your feet and a robe for your shoulders and a ring for your hand. Spirit testifies with our spirit. The Spirit's voice is there assuring you of God's steadfast love and grace to you. More good news. Verse 17. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. To be heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ means that we possess all things we possess all think about this think about this for just a second all things that belong to god belong to you and to me all things everything which god has made all things that belong to him belong to you and to me they are our inheritance One day, when you stand before God, if you are a child of God, you will be anointed Lord or Lady of the universe. Imagine that. Just imagine that. That what, you know, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, you've never met in your entire life an ordinary person. That you rub elbows with and go to church with people, I'm paraphrasing here, who if you saw them today as they will be before God, you would be strongly tempted to bow down and worship them. That is absolutely true. All things belong to us. We are co-heirs with Christ and heirs of God. Paul tells us, verse 32 of this chapter, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? 
You know, we get so silly sometimes. We mess around with stuff. And we get consumed with material things. And we think, you know, if I only get a new boat, or a new pair of shoes, or a new dress, or a new job, you know, maybe a new house, whatever, okay? Well, then I'll finally have joy. Then I'll finally be happy. And what Paul is telling us here is reminding us of the fact that all things are yours. You don't have to long for something better. Something better is on the way. In fact, it already belongs to you. You're just waiting for the day when you inherit it. All things are yours. And, of course, our ultimate treasure that we are looking forward to is God Himself. And one day we will be with Him. And we will enjoy Him as our ultimate inheritance when we go home. Now, one more thing. One more important detail. And it's there in verse 17. It's about suffering and our response to it. Christian life is not an easy road. Somebody told you that it was, I'm sorry, they lied to you. They did. Christian life is not easy. And it is not moving effortlessly from blessing to blessing. It is not one interrupted bowl, uninterrupted bowl of peaches apart from the cream. Okay? It's just not the way the Christian life is. In fact, over and over, Jesus says and the Bible says that to follow Christ is to suffer. Anybody who tells you the Christian life is easy is probably trying to sell you something or talk you out of some of your money. Fact is, we are marching toward glory, but right now the battle is raging and life is therefore hard. And this isn't a command, this, this part of the verse, if you provided that you suffer with Him. Not a command, but it does function as both a warning and an encouragement. It's a warning because it tells us that if we desert from the Lord when suffering comes, that we do not belong to Him. Jesus Himself said repeatedly, He who endures to the end will be saved. And so we do need to endure suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, as Paul said in 1 Timothy. Paul also said to Timothy, all who want to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. So there's that warning. It's coming. You're going to suffer. You might be persecuted. It's going to be tough. And you need to endure. But on the other hand, there's encouragement too. In the same phrase, that it reminds us that suffering is normal. Right? It isn't like everybody else got varsity Christianity and I made the B team if I'm suffering, right? Uh, no. Uh, to suffering is normal. Jesus suffered. Paul suffered. The early church suffered. People around the world who are part of the church are right now suffering as a result of their faith. One day our turn may come. Suffering is normal. 
But our suffering is not meaningless. Our suffering is not meaningless. It's happening for a reason, and that is that in order that we might be glorified with Him. There is no crown of glory waiting for us apart from going through the cross of suffering. And if you're suffering today, some of you are. Some of you, I know, you're, you're in pain. And we're glad you're here just to remind you that glory awaits. You might suffer now for a little while. But the glory that awaits is not worthy to be compared with the suffering we endure. It is little and momentary suffering compared to the vast quantity of glory we will enjoy. We are suffering with Jesus in order that we might be glorified with Jesus. Because guess what, men and women? If you're suffering now, Jesus is suffering with you. He is right there. He is the Lord who told you, I'm with you every day to the very end of the age. And you are suffering with Him. Now, we are sons of God. Amen? We are heirs of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit by whom we call out to God our Father, Abba, Father. And we cry out not in fear, but in love and joy and in the expectation that He will give us grace. And the result of all these things that God has done for us ought to be a life that is lived in obedience and honor out of simple joyful gratitude for all that He has done. Because a God who has done much more than the most for us ought to be responded to in loving obedience. Amen? He doesn't ask for a lot. He gives us everything we could possibly imagine if we by faith trust in Jesus. And then He says, and follow. Because the way I'm leading you leads to glory. It's a good road. It's the only road that leads to heaven. So walk on that one. Walk by faith in the Son of God. Put to death the deeds of the body and live. Live the new life that I created you to enjoy and receive the tremendous blessing of faith in Christ and all that that entails. So, um, we want to pray and we want to sing our hearts out for the one who paid it all that we might enjoy these things. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have lavished Your grace on us. That You have given us so much grace that it overruns out of our lives, overflows out of our hearts into joyful praise, but also into love for other people and into the dispensing of grace into the world through us by Your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that in joyful gratitude for all You have done, we might live obedient lives. And that we might crawl out to You as often as we are in need every day. Abba, Father. And take advantage of the privilege we have of enjoying life with You both now and forevermore.
And Father, we celebrate all you have done for us here this morning in Jesus' name and by your Spirit's power. Amen. Well,